2, uh, verses 14 through 19. When you get there, please stand for the reading of God's Word. All right, Jeremiah chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. God challenges Israel through Jeremiah, and he says, Is Israel a servant? Is he a home-born slave? Why is he spoiled? The young lions roared upon him and yelled, and they made his land waste. His cities are burned without inhabitant. Also, the children of Noph and of Tapanes have broken the ground of thy head. Hast thou not procured this unto thyself, in that thou hast forsaken the Lord thy God, when he led thee by the way? And now, yes, and now, what hast thou to do in the way of Egypt, to drink the waters of Sihor? And what hast thou to do in the way of Assyria, to drink the waters of the river? Thine own wickedness shall correct thee, and thy backsliding shall reprove thee. Know therefore and see, that it is an evil thing and bitter that thou hast forsaken the Lord thy God, and that my fear is not in thee, saith the Lord God of hosts. May God bless his word, and let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you for the things that were written aforetime, as Paul said in Romans, that they were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And that simply clearly tells us, Lord, that we need to study your word, we need to study the Old Testament, and that there are so many things in here for us And they were uh, written for us, uh, yes, to Israel, but we will benefit if we will, through patience and comfort, study and, and seek you through the Scriptures. So tonight, we ask you, Father, speak to our hearts, challenge us from this text, and Lord, help us to understand what you were saying to Israel so long ago, to the people of Judah specifically, and and then, Lord, help us to realize how, how very applicable some of this stuff is to us today. Uh, Christians that are struggling, those that have gone astray, those that have backslidden uh, as Israel has. And Father, we ask that you would bless us and encourage us. And for, for those, Father, that are really seeking to draw near to you, to have and cultivate a relationship with you on a regular basis, I pray that you would just strengthen the ties, their heart ties to you, strengthen us and our relationship to you and our love for you and affirm the things we are doing uh, just to allow us to continue to yield to you. Thank you for your provision. We ask your grace and blessing now. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Uh, Tonight we are uh, on uh, message 12, going through the book of Jeremiah and we are looking the Jer- Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, records the final prophecies to Judah. Uh, warning of, of oncoming destruction, if the nation does not repent. Uh, Jeremiah calls out to the nation to turn back to God. Uh, but at the same time, Jeremiah recognizes uh, and, and understands through revelation what's going to happen. He sees, he's already been warned, uh, just like Ezekiel that uh, this message is not going over. They're not hearing him. And even as part of his prophecy later on, uh, in fact, I'll I'll read to you two verses way back in chapter 29. That'll be a long time before we get there. But the Lord is challenging his people to get right, to turn back. um, And yet he knows that 
their destruction is inevitable because unless they repent, see, they don't sense the urgency of what's going on. They don't sense their dire situation. Kind of reminds me of uh, the church, in, you know, the Church of Laodicea in the Book of Revelation. They uh, they saw themselves as rich and increased with goods and had need of nothing. And God said to them, "You don't know that you're poor and blind and wretched, uh, uh, wretched and naked. Uh, you are not doing well." And they said, "We're fine. We're good." And boy, does that not describe uh, many in the church today? Many of God's people. Uh, even churches today are just, we're fine. You know, we're, we're doing fine the way we are. And, uh, you know, let's take this message from Jeremiah that, you know, we need to make sure if you are not walking with the Lord, we need to get right with God. And uh, so listen to what Jeremiah will say because, and we're going to see this. This is it's such an awesome passage or such an awesome chapter. The people of Israel uh, are just like us in so many ways. Uh, and he's he's calling them to repentance. He's charging them with a serious accusation of having forsaken the covenant of God. And they are bringing upon themselves, as we're going to see tonight. In fact, the title of the message tonight is, You Brought This on Yourself. You brought this, and that's what Jeremiah's message tonight is. He's saying, this judgment that I'm predicting, this judgment that I'm telling you, if you don't repent, it's going to happen. And it's already we've already seen it happen, you know. Already, Israel, the northern tribe, had fallen to Assyria a hundred years ago. They were already into captivity. And now, Babylon was getting set, and God even told him through Jeremiah, Babylon's going to be the one that God is going to use. He's going to be your disciplining rod. And uh, so listen to Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 10 and 11. For thus saith, so this is way down the line here. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon... I will visit you and perform my good work toward you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. So he, he recognizes that they're going to go through this. God's going to end up disciplining them. And, and it does happen. Babylon comes, 586 B.C., brings them into captivity but then, and it, it, it's even predicted here after seven years, accomplished, I'm going to bring you back to the land. Of course, that's the book, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah and some other of the, the minor prophets as well. But for now, this is where they're at now, is they're getting ready to be punished by Babylon under King Nebuchadnezzar. And, and most of this book is Jeremiah warning them to get right with him. Um, and it, it reminds us that this is all... God is dealing with them as sons. He's chasing, he will be chastening them. He does the same to us, doesn't he? Remember the nature of chastening. I'm so reminded of Hebrews 12. I think I referred to it last Sunday. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 11. Um, it says, now no chastening, no punishment, no you know, discipline, no chastening for the present seemeth joyous, but grievous. That's an understatement, isn't it? It's not fun to be disciplined. But then, then he, the writer of Hebrews says, says, Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Any parent that loves their child is going to discipline them. I remember, I've been thinking a lot about my mom and dad, and we've been reminiscing. By the way, thank you folks for praying for my dad. He had a good day today. Um, 
he was he was uh you know cognitive and and able to understand my mom came uh, my brother and sister-in-law drove many hours yesterday uh, and they were able to come with and visit with him today they're going to be with us for a while I look forward to seeing them uh, but he had a good day and and my mom was there and spent a good amount of time so we've been talking with the siblings a lot about growing up and it brought back a memory that I remember um you're not going to believe this but uh I I disobeyed my mom one time just once and I still remember I was a young kid I still remember her chasing me around the dining room table with a wooden spoon and and that's my memory I just remember me running around the dining room table and she was running after me and I want to say, I don't think she caught me, <laughs> you know. Now, I probably saw that as a, a very, you know, she never caught me. Uh, now that I look back at it, you know, she, I wish she had caught me. Uh, Israel is running from God. They really are. They're running from God. And, he, you know, he's chasing them. You know, a parent that disciplines their child loves them. Now, when you're being disciplined, when God disciplines us, it's not joyous, it's grievous. But the end is always in sight. Nevertheless, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And as Jeremiah 29 says, God has, God has thoughts for us, not of revenge, like I am so mad at you, all I want to do is punish you forever. No, he says, I know the thoughts that I have toward you, thoughts of, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. He's like, I want the best for you. And, and Jeremiah knew that. That was why he was pleading with his heart for Israel, for Judah, to repent and turn to the Lord. So chapter 1, we saw Jeremiah was commissioned from the Lord to preach to a rebellious Judah. And chapter 2 opens up with Jeremiah preaching. Let me share a little bit this uh, this text specifically, Jeremiah chapter 2, and several other places in Jeremiah, as well as other places in the Scriptures, not just Psalms, are actually poetry. And when, when this specific chapter and others were given, uh, many here in Jeremiah in the beginning part, they were poems. It was poetic. And uh, the way it is written out, uh, it seems that in chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, uh, are to be coupled with verses, did I say chapter, verse 2 and 3, along with verse 14 through 19, were written in what's called the second feminine uh, singular. And so that's specifically separated from the passage we're going to look at tonight. Um, verses, uh, or no, what we're going to look at tonight is the second part of that. This is, so we're going back to the first poem that started in verses 2 and 3. And we're going to look tonight at verse 14 and 19. Now, verses, verses 4 through 13 are written in the second masculine plural, Remember, the first part was second feminine singular, and the, the verses 4 through 13 was second masculine plural. In other words, so we've got, so we've got some poems going on, some poetry, and they're obviously originally when they were written, were written at different times in a different situation, and they're combined in this text uh, very clearly. And so this, it's believed that this first part that we've been looking at, and it would make sense... By the way, not all of Jeremiah is laid out chronologically, so keep that in mind. Uh, people, when you study Jeremiah, there, there are some jumps in it. You have to understand that. But what we're looking at now in chapter 2 apparently appears, based on what he's saying, appears to be very on in, Jerley, in uh, Jeremiah's ministry because of who he mentions. Specifically, he mentions two countries, 
Egypt and Assyria. And Assyria, uh, in the beginning of Jeremiah's range uh, of his ministry, was, was at the height of its power. And Israel was looking to them, uh, and in awe of them, two nations that Israel was looking to, Babylon was the enemy. And they were already threatening, and they were, you know, by God's word, they were going to be the one that were going to bring the judgment. And so here's the people of Judah, they're looking to Assyria and Egypt to be their saviors. So they're in awe of Assyria. Now, by the time we get later on in Jeremiah, Assyria will lose its power and be nothing. But right now, they are a, a big presence. And so, so understand that. Um, Look at, let's begin jumping in verse 14. Is, let me back up. Judah and all Israel, let me just uh, kind of rehearse what we've talked about in verse 2 and 3. Uh, Judah and all of Israel had an early devotion to the Lord. If you look at verses 2 and 3, you'll remember that. Uh, God is bringing them back. Their espousals, when they were in love with Him, when they looked to Him, when they sought Him, and, uh, and they rejected, yet they rejected Yahweh's claims upon them. And as a result, a consequence, they fell prey to the lions. We'll talk about that. The, um, many believe that's a reference to Assyria. And um, they were drawn into compromising alliances. This is their apostasy. Now remember, what we're going to see tonight is, they were, in, they were impressed with Egypt and Assyria. And they were looking at them as, you are going to rescue us from the big, bad Babylon. And by the way, all these were pagan nations. None of them worshipped Jehovah. But that wasn't God's concern, whether it were Babylon or Assyria or Egypt. God wanted them to be in awe of Him. He wanted them to serve Him. And they broke their covenant with Him. Their relationship with Him is all that He was interested in. And so whatever it would take, and it would end up taking Babylon, and God calls Him later on, Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, my servant, not because not Nebuchadnezzar was a godly man, but because he was a tool in the Lord's hands. By the way, when God tells us in the New Testament, in Ephesians 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Don't forget this, that your worst enemy is nothing to God. And God can or cannot use other people. If He wants to get our attention, He will use other people, whether they're friend or foe. He will use them to work in our lives if He's trying to get our attention. But you and I, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. And so if you think your problem is your boss or you know, a co-worker or a, a, a neighbor, or a family member, if you think, you know, they're my enemy, understand how God works. They're not the enemy. God is using people in our lives so that we might become like Christ, so that we might walk with the Lord. And that's no different here. So look at verse 14. Jeremiah starts out, he says, Is Israel a servant? Is he a, home, a home-born slave? Now, what is Jeremiah asking? What is God asking? Is Israel a servant? A home-born slave? And so let's go back to um, this word uh, in the in Masoretic text, which is what the King James was translated from. 
The, the Hebrew word that's used is a bed, and it's what's called a house-born slave. And it was one who was born in the household. So here's, here's how slavery worked back in, in this time. Um, normally, a slave was bought. So if, if, a, if a rich person went out, they'd buy a servant, a slave, and then that person, sadly, became their property, and they were bought. They were free, they were bought. But then every child that is born, while that slave is serving under that master, every child that is born to them automatically becomes the property of the master. And and so this is what Jeremiah is talking about. He says, is Israel a servant? Is he a home-born slave? And then he asks the question, and the idea is then, then why why is he spoiled? Now, spoiled is an old English word, and it's not what you think of it as today. You know, Israel was a spoiled brat. You know, like we talk about children that are spoiled. Spoiled here is specifically a war term that talks about plundering, uh, pillaging, the spoils of war. That's what this word has the idea of. And what Jeremiah is saying is, it's, it, many believe, and there's a lot of debate about this, but many believe he's, he's using the northern tribes who had already been brought into captivity by Assyria, remember, over 100 years ago. Uh, Their brothers, their fellow Israelites, all of the northern kingdom was brought to Assyria, and they were now in bondage to Assyria. And now you've got the two southern tribes, Judah and some stragglers. And now God's challenging them. Like You'd think they have the biggest example of, look what happened to your fellow Israelites. And, you know... Here you are, it's like you're the freeborn and, and yet you're, you're, going to become, you're going to become plunder. You're, they're going to come and they're going to take you away when you're not, you're not, you're not in slavery tech, technically right now, but you are becoming, and the way you're acting towards Israel, or excuse me, Egypt and Assyria, you are, you know, why is he spoiled? Why are you going to be, you're plunder because of your, you've already surrendered, you're already a servant in your mind, to Assyria and Egypt. And this brings out a great point that, um, you know, Israel is free. At this point, Judah is still free. But because of their devotion, because, or let me put it this way, because of their lack of devotion to, to Jehovah, to Yahweh, because of their lack of respect, they were not in awe of Yahweh, but they were in awe of Assyria and Egypt. And the Bible tells us even in the New Testament, 2 Peter 2.19, of whom a man is overcome, the same is he brought into bondage. And Romans 6.16 says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey? In other words, they were already, they were already defeated because of, of forsaking Jehovah and being enamored by these other nations as they were going to be our, and remember this term, it's throughout Jeremiah, they were going to rescue them. And, and this is the term that's used in the Hebrew over and over again, in, initially, already in the first chapter. I'm the one that rescued you from, from slavery in Egypt. I rescued you. And now... And he wants them to look to him. He wants them to, to let's get back in a right relationship. And I'm gonna, or I'm going to judge you. And instead, they're, 
They're so enamored with Egypt and Assyria. And so he brings that up. Um, but I want to challenge you because the point, in fact, Jeremiah will even say, let's, let's look at this because who knows how far we'll get here. But he says, verse 17. Actually, look, real quickly, look at verse 16. Also the children of Noph. Uh, you see that Noph? And Taphanes, Noph, is another name for Memphis which was the ancient capital of Lower Egypt, near, uh, near modern Cairo. And Taphanes was... What was Taphanes? Taphanes was the Greek Daphne, um, and it was, another, it was another river in northeastern Egypt. So first he's addressing this when he says... Um, When he, let's go back to the text here, Jeremiah. When he says, the young lions roared upon him, many believe that's Assyria, and yelled, and they made his land waste, and his cities are burned without inhabitant. Also the children of Noph and Taphanes, that would be Egypt, have broken the crown of thy head. They've cracked your skull, would be the way we would word that today. But now look at verse 17. He says, Hast thou not procured this unto thyself? How would we say that today? Haven't you brought this upon yourself? This is Jeremiah just saying, listen, this is one of those things where what you're going through and what you're headed towards is something that is because it's your responsibility. You have brought this on yourself. And he's still in a spot He's still in a position where if they would just listen to what he was saying, this was, in fact, every every moment that Jeremiah was in this preaching phase of calling them to repentance was God extending, uh, as, as mentioned in Scripture by another people, he was giving them space to repent. That's very characteristic of our God. He gives us space to repent. And so although the judgment is coming, they've provoked God, he's already said, okay, this is what's going to happen. Jeremiah is their last chance. And so the weeping prophet, the tender-hearted man who loves Judah and who is broken for them is going to be sent by God as God's last crying appeal to these people. But the bottom line is, and again, this is such a powerful verse, Uh, And and I want you to take note of this. Verse 17, Hast thou not procured this unto thyself? You brought this upon yourself. If thou hast forsaken the Lord thy God when when He led thee by the way. You have forsaken me. I've come to realize, in fact, the more I think about this, I preached a message quite a while ago, but not too long ago, called Self-Inflicted Emergencies. Uh, there are things that you and I... In fact, an emergency uh, is... Let me give you the definition of an emergency. An emergency is a sudden, unforeseen crisis that requires immediate action. Get that again. Because Israel was, Israel was preparing to have an emergency. Something was going to happen. A crisis was at hand. But again, maybe it was an emergency because the definition of an emergency is a sudden, 
unforeseen crisis that requires immediate action. Now, sometimes things happen to us that are emergencies. Uh, There are some things that you and I cannot foresee. We really can't anticipate it. But there are many times, folks, where if we'd be honest with ourselves, we, we could have known. The Bible says in Proverbs, the prudent man, that's another word for wise or noble, the prudent man foresees the evil and hides himself. In other words, God expects His people to prepare and to anticipate consequences of our actions. And there are certain things, let me, let me just share an example with, with finances. I was the, I had to learn this lesson the hard way. When something when we were early married, I did not have good spending habits. We had emergencies quite a lot. The car broke down. The car broke down. The car died. And that was an emergency. I don't know. When I, when I first bought my car, I guess I expected that it would never break down. Right? Because I was driving it that way. I gave no care. I'm just thinking, okay... And that was, my, that was the way I operated. And another thing, I bought a home. Folks, when you buy a home, or you buy any material thing, uh, as one person said, there are built-in demands for maintenance and upkeep. And if you forget that, you will not foresee the evil, and you will be constantly having emergencies. Things break down in the house. The water heater died, right? The car broke down. The whatever, um, rats in your basement, things, you know, all kinds of things that you can't expect. But the prudent man foresees, you know, the idea that that there are certain things that can be anticipated, not just just financially, but in so many other ways. And I think God wants us to do some kind of self-examination. I have learned, and it took me a long time to learn, I don't, I've shared this, I do not journal, and I really want to, but I do keep records. I keep records of, um, and dates in calendars of significant events, significant challenges. Uh, we've had six emergencies, I would say, um, in, our, in, in my life, going back to the time that uh, my, my friend in high school fell through the ceiling and was in a coma, that was... Uh, a very tragic, that was an emergency, and there were f- four or five other things uh, since then. But I have kind of taken note, and recently I've gone back, and I've looked at things in my life, and then things that have been going on with me. And I've come, only when I've stepped back from it, and I, I look at things from a long distance, Specifically, I've also been looking at my health, and I can see that at certain times, through certain challenges and and difficulties, it has affected my health. And uh, one specific one that I'm going to be as cryptic as I can, because most of you are going to know what I'm talking about, and this is not to denigrate anyone, but um, there was someone in in our fellowship that was not taking responsibility for their life. Uh, and 
was letting things go in their house, in their personal life. And uh, it ended up that um, the church had to come in and kind of rescue this person, specifically with their house at first. And so we helped this person out, took care of, fixed these things, and, and, and then said, good, okay, now you're good. And then we kind of left this person alone. And then a couple years later, her life fell apart, house fell apart, and we went in and did another rescue, kind of like God rescuing someone. Um, and, and then we kind of kept a little more eye, and then, and then several years after that, it just became evident this person had no family members, no family to help take care of them. Uh, and I remember, I still remember, it was 2010, and the pressure was, here's this person that's part of our church that needs someone to intervene and help them live their life. I felt that pressure. And I'm looking around. Who can help? Who can step in and take over this person's life? And, and nobody was coming forward. <laughs> you know, not many people know about it. But I felt this incredible pressure that the church has to do it. And I felt this incredible pressure that I guess I got to do it. And uh, I had... So I took on a responsibility that I'm convinced to this day now, now, that God did not want me doing that. And after eight years of, of being a pastor and then living, you know, managing someone else's life, 2018, I just... Um, I broke. I, I needed a sabbatical. I just, it was too much. And, and I'm going to tell you something. I brought it on myself. I'm not blaming the church. I took that on. And, and again, when I look back at that, I, say, I don't know what the right answer is. But I want to tell you something. Our job is not to take care of other people if, if it's not our responsibility. And there are some things. We are responsible for ourselves. So I would call that kind of a self-inflicted... I brought that on myself. And that's what God is telling Israel. You brought this on yourself. Which, by the way, it's okay to make the wrong choices and make the wrong commitments if you learn from them. Right? I mean, how else are we going to learn some things unless we make mistakes? Remember the whole idea of practice? You know, the whole training and discipline thing is is we're practicing the Christian life, which it it just includes, we're going to make mistakes. And nobody succeeds if we don't first try, fall down, get back up. And we we need to make mistakes. God gives us room to make mistakes. But to forsake the relationship with the Lord, and that's what they did. They forsook the covenant. They began to go to other gods, the gods of the other nations. And they forsook their covenant with God. And so now, what is about to happen to them, folks? They brought it on themselves. And please understand, and I think it's so so important that we understand that God did not send one of the other prophets that He had sent earlier. And some of those other prophets, Ezekiel, you know, some of those other prophets were, boom! They'd lower the boom. They didn't have any problem. Judgment's coming. Now, Jeremiah was the last prophet to come before Judah would fall. And he is the weeping prophet. God's like, okay, I got a a special assignment. 
I want a really tender-hearted guy. I want a guy that's going to weep, that, that understands what I'm going through because I love these people and they're just they're walking away from me. Ah, Jeremiah. So before Jeremiah is born in the belly, he says, all right, I, I know, you're going to be the guy. So he sends Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. So again, verse 17. Hast thou not procured this unto thyself, and that thou hast forsaken the Lord thy God when I led thee by the way? Verse 18. And now, what hast thou to do in the way of Egypt to drink the waters of Sihor? That's another word for the Nile. And by the way, Sihor, Sihor or the Nile, was one of the chief gods, small g, of Egypt. It was not just a river. It was, it was their chief, one of their chief gods. And he's referring to that. Or what hast thou to do in the way of Assyria to drink the waters of the river? Literally, the Hebrew word there is darkness. And that is a, a reference to uh, one of the major rivers. Let me see where we get it here. Uh, the Euphrates. And so this is a, this is a specific reference. The Lord is, is calling them out. And, and He's using the idea of their rivers as He would do as God does. Remember Jesus said, He that comes to Me in thirst, let him drink. I am the living waters. And, and in fact, what did we just last week? They've, for, they've two evils against Me. You have forsaken Me, the fountain of living waters, and you've hewed out, you've cut out broken cisterns. And now He uses this idea that you're drinking at the rivers of these, these pagan places and, and it's, it, it's not like I was upset where they were getting their physical water source. It was that they were looking to these people to satisfy and quench their deepest needs of their soul and they weren't looking to Jehovah God, to Yahweh. That's what God wanted. And that was the big challenge. That was the big um, accusation here. So verse 19 again, thine, uh, God says, now look at verse 19, Thine own wickedness shall correct thee, and thy backslidings. Jeremiah is the number one prophet to use this term. And he uses it over and over again to refer to Israel. Maybe because he was the last one to be the last trumpet call to, to Judah, uh, but he uses this word many, many times. And we're going to see it a lot. This idea of backsliding. And thy backsliding shall reprove thee. Know therefore and see that it is an evil thing and bitter, that thou hast forsaken the Lord thy God, and that my fear is not in thee, saith the Lord God of hosts. So keep this in mind. Egypt and Assyria were not really Judah's problem. Their problem was that they had forsaken the Lord. That was their problem. And that's what they didn't get they were they were so in awe of these two nations and we're going to see i love the towards the end of the book of jeremiah there's some amazing things how there's kind of an uproar against jeremiah and all the leaders claim they just want to hear from god on where they should go uh, and, and you know should we go to egypt or should we go to babylon and remember later on assyria is not even in the picture they're no longer a power and so they're like, okay, should we look to Babylon or should we look to Egypt? Now God, God was telling them at that time, this is down the road, Egypt, uh, Babylon's going to be the, the tool, it's going to be the rod, they're going to come and they're going to discipline you, so I want you to submit yourself to Babylon. 
So before that, they go to Jeremiah and they say, we just want to hear from God. Whatever he says, we promise we'll do it. We just want to hear from God. And Jeremiah goes back. He says, all right, I'm going to go find out what God wants. And the next day he comes to him. He says, God wants you to go, go to Babylon. And they said, that's not what God says. God wants us to go to Egypt. It's like, well, then why did you even ask me? Uh, and and we, I think we can get that way. We get so set in our way that we're convinced that the only proper answer to prayer, that God's way is my way. By the way, when we do that, we make a God out of our own impulses and wishes and desires. And we talk about delusion. When you and I do that, we are not listening to the Lord God. So, the challenge. Again, verse 19. Thy own wickedness shall correct thee. Thy backsliding shall reprove thee. Know therefore and see that it is an evil thing and bitter. And again, this is the accusation that thou hast forsaken the Lord. You brought this on yourself. Many, many years ago, I preached a message called The Reproofs of Life. And we happen to have uh, two ladies, one that I'm going to mention, two ladies that had just started coming. In fact, this might have been this one gal's first time at our church. And I was preaching on the reproofs of life. How that sometimes God will allow problems in our life to draw us back to Him. I don't remember exactly all that I said, but I laid out how you know, it was obviously talking about discipline and chastening, the chastening hand of God. It's done out of His love, so He comes back. And, uh, and that dear lady wrote me the most precious letter uh, because it, it was the timing of me preaching that and what God was doing in her life. She was a saved lady that had moved off to England and, and she had gone, grown up in a fundamental Baptist church. She knew the Scriptures, but she had kind of gotten away from the Lord. And she had gone through, uh, you know, a very difficult divorce. Things had happened where she lost her house. She was experiencing the reproofs of life as I was preaching on it. And I still have the letter. And it's the most precious letter where she just bore her heart. She said, Pastor, you just described me. I was away from the Lord. And I thank you for preaching that. And that was Sarah Cochiardi. And she, from that time, to the time the Lord took her home, she walked with her Savior and was a dear blessing to this church. You know, what a blessing that God loves us. And sometimes we do that though, don't we? And sometimes we think, God, what are you doing? And God's trying to say, you brought this on yourself. And he's not just saying it in a, I told you so. You know, Jeremiah was not an I told you so prophet. He was a weeping prophet that said, please come to the Lord. But the message was clear. You brought this on yourself. Have you brought anything on yourself in your relationship with the Lord? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to be able to step back from our own lives, which often engulf us. And sometimes we can't see the trees through the forest or the forest through the trees, whatever that is. Uh, Lord, help us to see you in what's going on in our lives. And instead of uh, woe, woe is us and having a pity party and you know the me monster. Father, help us to see that it is your loving hand. If we are straying from you, like, like Judah was, Father, it's hard to penetrate a rebellious heart. It's hard to reach someone that has been hardened by sin. 
Uh, and, and yet, Father, the message is clear that when we are away from you, repentance is the answer, the only answer. And Father, that you are a loving Heavenly Father that takes us back and is just longing for us, loving us. And he whom the Lord chastens, he loves. And Lord, we thank you for that love. Thank you for not letting us stray. Thank you for those times when you make us miserable, uh, when we are out of fellowship with you. And Lord, help us to allow that to cultivate a consistent, close walk with our precious Savior, uh, being cleansed regularly through the blood of Christ. We thank you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. All right, let's take our hymn books out. Let's turn to hymn 564. It's been a theme in my wife. My wife and I lately have been talking about this verse, this song a lot. Uh, And this is so true. This is what we're trying to do in our prayer meetings. We'd love for you to join us online. uh, That when you count your blessings... Uh, it will surprise you what the Lord has done. And so we're trying to do that. Let's all stand. We'll sing all three verses of hymn 564. Count your blessings. <laughs>